0: Today's episode is brought to you by Horizon Books. Yes, Horizon Books, back for Season 2. Serving Seattle's book-loving community for over 47 years, almost 48 now, with one of the best collections of used books in the region. Mention UpZones at the register for a 10% discount today. Our sponsor is Horizon Books, and this is UpZones. Things
1: are changing. Things are changing. You have to elect yourself, they Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say
0: it, but you know it's true. You Alex yourself, things are changing.
1: You Alex yourself, You Alex yourself.
0: We're back. What's up, Upsonians? It's very nice to be speaking with you again. After uh, about a month I took off there, I... As many of you who listen may recall, I got married. It was fantastic. Best weekend of my life, to tell you the truth. Uh, Michelle and I invited out our friends and family, went up to Whidbey Island, found a farmhouse, uh, said some really nice things to each other, promised not to break up, and had a really kick-ass party. And I'm thrilled to have done it. I recommend it heavily to everyone who is considering it one way or the other. You know, it's a special thing. You don't necessarily think about it until you're living it or it happens. But, um, you know, you invite your friends, you invite your family. There was a little kind of welcome party that we threw the night before. And I remember walking up the stairs to the bar where we were having it. And I saw my best friend from third grade who flew in. And he was standing next to my adult closest friend who's got his son with him. And my parents were there and a bunch of Michelle, my, my now wife's friends and family, Just seeing everybody in the same room was a very special kind of intoxicating that I'm just glad I got to enjoy. I feel really good about it at a personal level. So that's not the premise of the show. We know that. We're back for a second season, but I like to share. I like to talk a little bit about it. I'm pretty glad that I got to do it. and I'm thankful. I'm grateful. And now we'll dive back in. Uh, This should be a good season. We've got a lot of special stuff planned, including a live episode. Yes, that's right. On October 11th. We're going to be recording uh, in front of a live audience in uh, in collaboration with our host, uh, Horizon Books. We'll be interviewing uh, Henry, Ryan Henry Ward. That's right, the uh, the famous muralist. And Seattle's brand new arts director, Randy Engstrom. That's right. So it should be a really great conversation about how the arts and culture here in Seattle are changing. Stay tuned for an extra special bonus guest as we get a little closer as well. I'm really excited about that. Come on down. That's October 11th. No tickets. Free charge. Come on out. That's at 7 p.m., October 11th, 7 p.m. at Horizon Books for a conversation about the arts in Seattle. Come check it out. Our guest today, I recorded just before the wedding, so you'll hear one or two references that may date the interview. I apologize for that. That's my bad. Aiko Schaefer, who's been the director for Front and Centered, a, a group focusing on communities of color, people of lower income, and indigenous folks uh, who are impacted by the environment, perhaps worst uh, more so than other groups and yet are not sort of politically or socially uh, often in the middle of those arguments so she's she's kind of right out in front of that longtime political activist now in the washington area with roots here but also uh, as you'll hear she's sort of been all over she's done that journey that a lot of folks who are community organizers do i think it's it's worth noting how just how sweet and kind and and soft-spoken she is for someone who's really out in front and has been for the better part of 20 years now on climate change, on just social organizing generally, social justice generally, um, really the right person, I think, for, for that job. And anyway, she came and just talked a little bit about herself and then a little bit about 1631. That's the initiative that is going to be on the ballot this November for a carbon tax in Washington. I'm hoping that we that we do it. I'm hoping that we get there but I mean part of the reason I wanted Ako to be on the show is so you could divide for yourself. Voters in Washington State this fall will vote to have the chance to do what no group of people in or outside the United States has ever done before which is vote on whether to adopt a carbon fee um, it would be a pretty interesting impressive and inspiring step to do. Let's uh, let's just go and talk to Ako Well, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for coming on. It's good to be here. Thanks, Um, Ian,
1: for the invitation.
0: Of course. Well, Brady, our friend Brady said, we got to get you on. So we got to get you on, man. Sounds great. I do. I do what my CEO tells me to do. (laughs) That's
1: so good to know. Well, I'm happy to do whatever Brady asks of me as well.
0: Um, So, where'd you grow up?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I grew up in Southern Indiana.
0: Well, so I'll tell you what, I worked for six months in Evansville, Indiana.
1: That is where I was born and
0: right? raised. Get out Evansville, of Evansville, Indiana. Evansville, Aces.
1: <laughs> Evansville, Aces. And I would have grown up here, but I ended up growing up in Evansville, and I worked so hard to get back here. Yeah. I what do you mean you would have grown up
0: here. here? Were you born here?
1: Well, my dad, uh, when I was little, was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. Mm, he was okay. an airplane me- mechanic here. Oh, gotcha. And when he retired, he had a job set up with Boeing. Um, and it was 1973 when Boeing was having a pretty big downturn. Mm. So he said, let's go to where my folks are from. And we
0: went to Southern Indiana. Wow. Uh, So that is the flattest place in America. (laughs) And if you know anything about my show, it's all about kind of density and urbanization. (laughs) And and Indiana was just not designed that way at all. No. Even to the extent that, you know, if you think of Evansville, I don't know when you've been back. I haven't been back since about
1: 2010. I
0: was back last summer. Okay. And you know, you go down the one main highway there that goes into like Boonville. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it's even it's a straight line, it's not a square. Yes. So the city is like one highway with development on either side, and then everything else is these flat residential st- yeah. uh It's instead of more concentrated, you know, third dimension there, you know. It's, That's right. Yeah. Well, there's
1: nothing to block you from spreading out. Yeah. You know, you have land as far as you can see. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, growing up there was you know, a, a difficult uh, but interesting experience. And as soon as I turned 18, I got out as quick as I could. You come back here? Yeah. Well, I actually, uh, you know, lived in many places across the country. You know, I started getting into politics pretty early on, okay. and yeah. sort of went wherever I was told. Wherever I chance, you, yeah, yeah I, I know that experience to very well. See the country well. and talked to a lot of different people about a lot of different issues, but my heart was always in Seattle. In Seattle, yeah.
0: and what brought you back?
1: You know, I actually came out here thinking that I would, you know, just see what the West Coast was like. That's um, what I did. And I never left. <laughs> Same. I met, a, I
0: met a girl here, too. So it's, you know, kept me here.
1: Yeah, it just, it's been a great place. As I said, when I was little, I went to kindergarten in Seattle. Uh-huh. And I remember growing up here at, at that age. It had an impression on me. And when we left, it always was in my mind as a place where I wanted to get back to. So uh-huh. I thought, you know, you're in your you know, um, 20s and you think, well, I'll just go try this place and see what it's like. And you know, I never looked back. And yeah. I've loved it here ever since.
0: That's awesome. And you came here probably like after school. Like you were already doing, you were like a working lady by that point. Yeah, yeah. definitely.
1: And, you know, I came out here just to see what it was like and um, landed in the political world and um, just to have had a chance to What, what was it things. that you ended up doing the first? The first campaign I worked on was around welfare reform. Okay. And so as you recall, the federal government was getting out of the business of welfare. 94? Yeah, 95. Yeah, 95 and yeah. So each state in the country got to decide what kind of welfare program they wanted. And so I was able to come here and there are some great uh, leaders and activists in the state and um, got a chance to work with them and travel the state and meet and talk with all sorts of amazing people across Washington Mm -hmm. and um, just, you know, in our state, we had a, a better policy than others, but of course it was a big difference from where it used to be and it continues to be in decline. So my first political work in Washington State was really around poverty and inequality. Mm -hmm.
0: I've noticed that you have more of an experience with the campaign, in the sense of an issue campaign. That seems to be where you're really comfortable versus, you know, going to work for Cantwell or something like that.
1: (laughs) Yes, I have been a longtime community organizer. I started my career on environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you're back. Yeah, now I'm back. And I had a a stint in there working on uh, congressional races uh, Mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Right and then came out here to work on poverty, and now I'm back at the environment. But it's interesting, because the work I do now really um, is a blend of all of the things I've done coming together. It's kind of cool.
0: Well, you get this... I don't know about you, but my experience on the, I mean, even the broader left, you know, 51% to, you know, all the way to the hard left or whatever, Mm -hmm. is there is this kind of false duality or maybe I think it's false duality around, you know, the kind of social justice versus environmental Mm. progressivism and how there really are several camps. And there's some complex issues around race with the environment where who Who's carrying what flag, and uh, and then ironically, I think it you know it is a false choice because ironically you know even if environmental justice is often seen as kind of this upper class white you know educated issue, but who does it impact the worst? And so I don't know, I don't know if you've had that kind of experience as well.
1: Oh, definitely. I think that you know the traditional environmental movement was a white and uh, is a white upper class issue, yet. In my experience in traveling the state and talking with communities of color, mm-hmm. very passionate about this issue, yeah. and um, they've never really been asked to be involved, and it's unfortunate because for us to really take on this issue and to take on a big opponent like the oil industry, it's going to take all of us. And so the the communities I get to talk to, you know, they are experiencing climate change in really personal ways, very direct ways. So what's an example of that? Oh my goodness, I've heard so many stories. So, and um, it'd be great for them to come on the show to be able to tell their sure. stories. Let's get them for on. Sure. Yeah, yeah there are plenty. Um, you know, I think it varies when I've had a chance to talk to uh, people here in Seattle. Many of them still fish um, in our waterways. Mm. And as you know, with climate change, water becomes warmer. And so as a result, fish go deeper. So a lot of people can't afford right. uh, fishing equipment that's yeah, that complex, goes that deep. You know? And the jellyfish come out, too, yeah. when it gets warmer. so when it's time to go find dinner, it takes a little more time. Maybe it's a type of fish you haven't eaten or is not your favorite. Mm-hmm. And so there's some challenges there. Um, there are people who are here in Washington State right now picking fruits and vegetables, and they're noticing that um, you know the size is different when you get paid for the weight of what you Um, harvest that Mm -hmm. makes a big impact on your pocketbook and also uh, many people come and travel through the west with a very particular schedule so when you come here and something's grown at a different time period that matters I see so it's a a
0: true itinerant lifestyle in some cases or anyway migratory right it's probably a better way to say it oh yeah and this so the climate change is now like really bucking that and uh, putting an obstacle in the way of kind of their ability to plan their lives wow. absolutely and wow. you know
1: and here in Seattle there are communities that um, have high rates of asthma and you might recall a couple of years ago maybe it's a little longer that there was a study done and comparing neighborhoods in the Duwamish River Valley to more affluent neighborhoods in, in Seattle and uh, and noting a significant uh, lifespan difference mm-hmm. of nearly nine years and mm-hmm. so the question is when you live in a highly polluted community, you are uh, experiencing more public health problems and potentially having a shortened life right. uh, as a result. And so as I had the chance to travel the state of Washington and talk to people here in Seattle, um, the stories that I heard were, like I said, very direct, very personal. And so it's not a surprise that when you look at public opinion polls that people of color care more about climate change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you noted, they just haven't been asked to be part of the work. Yeah. And so in their uh, lives, wow. um, these issues are very intertwined. And so when you look at where we pollute, right, on where we leave pollution, and especially in the case of our reliance on fossil fuel, um, that waste is always in communities that are disproportionately yeah, poor, right? of course. Because it's poor, cheap. Right. You know, land so it's not Queen Anne where the voting <laughs> right. facilities are it's right. going to be in the Duwamish River Valley in Georgetown, south Park, so.
0: what what brought you to this? I mean what kind of what kind of <laughs> what, how, I guess what I'm getting at is everyone does have these moments, uh, especially people who are you know living their best life, I guess, and you have these moments where you say okay that that's that's what i'm going to do mm-hmm. you know and so what was it for you? It sounds like you were in this from twenty two you know what 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 did that for you
1: well, it was actually from my perspective, uh, unintended, you know, I was teaching at the university of Washington graduate school of social work and I had made that decision because I wanted to break from politics. I was just sort of trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do, what issues I wanted to work on. How did
0: you get into that?
1: You know, well, I uh, have a a master's degree from the University of Washington and kept in touch with the faculty there and the dean there. And um,
0: And so they had you teaching on, like, policy stuff? Yes, I was Ah. teaching the
1: policy classes and the poverty classes and really loved working with young people who are just, you know, energetic and Mm -hmm. enthusiastic, people who are, um, you know, thinking about how they wanted to change the world. And that was really a great place to be for someone who had needed a little break from politics. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a... Uh, an email or a call, I can't remember now, from some of my friends who work in the environmental community. And so, um, as, as I had said, I started my career in the environmental movement, was working in poverty and racial justice work in Washington, and they called and said, you know, they had uh, recognized that they were not as successful as they'd like to be on climate change. Um, in Washington State, I think the environmentalists had been working for about a decade on this issue with no success, and um, they had come to the conclusion that they needed to build a broader movement. Um, and I give them tremendous credit for seeing that. And were very interested in, in um, talking with leaders of color and asked if I would facilitate that conversation, help mm. them think about how that conversation might go. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to help them figure that out. And one conversation uh, has led to, um, you know, that was uh, three years ago now. Right.
0: Oh, so it's been a little odyssey, yeah. and and now we've got uh, that the odyssey culminates on the ballot this November. Go ahead and tell the listeners, you know what what it is that they're
1: deciding. Yeah, happy to do that. So this November before voters will be Initiative sixteen thirty one, the Protect Washington Act, and it is the creation of the most broad coalition I've ever seen in the state of Washington that have come together to address climate change. Mm-hmm. It includes labor, communities of color, environmentalists, public health, um, tribal nations, and we all came together and put our heads together and said, how are we going to do this? And the initiative is a important and effective first step in addressing um, pollution in our state and being able to invest in solutions, and really putting us in a position, I believe, to lead the nation, like we've done on many other important issues. Um, to be able to um, transition us away from fossil fuel um, use and to be able to put forward the resources and the capacity for us to really be able to uh, change the way we do things. And through it, um, clean communities of color that are disproportionately impacted by climate change and pollution um, and give us the ability to um look at the accountability, see how well we're doing, and to set forward those solutions. Together.
0: And what is the exact, What is what would it be enacted?
1: So the way the policy would work is um, it is a fee on polluters, mm-hmm. large corporate polluters in Washington State would have to pay a fee for their pollution. And those dollars would be reinvested towards clean energy, um, forest and water, and be able to address our need to adapt to the impact of pollution and climate change. Mm-hmm.
0: So let me throw two devil's advocates out mm-hmm. at you. Um yeah. I once had someone say, "When you're when you're devil's advocate, just remember who you're advocating for." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, the first would be you know this this sort of claim, and I've heard it a million times, but it's worth just kind of taking on. Sure. Around well, that they're just going to pass that cost on to everyone else, and it's going to make everything more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, what would, what would be your response to that?
1: Well, I would say this, you know, um, large corporate polluters have been polluting for free for a really long time. Mm. And of course they're gonna try to keep doing it for free. <laughs> That's just how they're gonna do business, right? The policy in and of itself does not make uh, anyone pay except for these large corporate polluters. So the oil industry, so BP, Shell, Exxon, they have to pay towards the pollution that they've been creating. What I say to people is, we're already paying for the pollution, right? So every time we have a forest fire in Washington Mm. state, we pay for that. Every time there's flooding, we pay for that. Um, Every time a family is in the emergency room because their child has an asthmatic attack, they're paying for it. Mm -hmm. So the costs that we are already bearing, we've been picking up that tab. And so what this does is it shifts the responsibility onto the polluter. And a lot of these corporations, already pay for solid waste management, right? They pay for someone to pick up their garbage and they do their recycling and their restrictions on pollution and waterways. So this really closes the loop in my mind and mm-hmm. also puts the responsibility on them to be able to clean up for the mess that they are creating already.
0: Well, so that leads me to the second at devil's advocate, if you will, which is, what is the state of Washington gonna do in the grand scheme of a, of a, of a globe where mm-hmm. the carbon count is, if I'm not mistaken, now up over 360 and, you know, uh, how, how can we help?
1: Oh, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, Washington state has led on a lot of important issues, $15 wage, paid family leave, marriage equality. I think this is gonna be another one of those moments where Washington state takes action mm-hmm. and the rest of the state begins to follow or the mm-hmm. rest of the country rather mm-hmm. begins to follow. Mm-hmm. So I do think that um, people are looking to us they know that we are trendsetters in that way around progressive issues. And I really think that the public is with us. We know the public is with us in Washington state. Um, and they're with us likely nationally that um, what we do here in Washington will matter. And I think it will ripple across the country.
0: I mean, that's the hope, right? It uh, you suppose, know, yeah. uh, it It really can be daunting in some cases. Yeah. I was reading even about Florida recently where... They're predicting um, nine feet now of, of sea level increase. Can you help me understand something? How can the sea rise nine feet in Florida and not everywhere? I don't understand that. It's the ocean.
1: Yeah, that would require you to have a different guest <laughs> to answer that question. I will. Uh, Who you know, is I'm that not, guest? I go. Who is I it? I am not the climate climatologist. Okay. Um, I All think, right. I, uh, I'm not the person to answer those types of questions. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I think that um, you know this is a global. Donald issue? Trump would
0: have answered anyway. That's right. <laughs> even if you didn't know.
1: Perhaps. This is a global issue, um, but it has to start somewhere. Yeah. It yes. has to start here.
0: Makes sense. What can, you know, we we have a nice uh, mix of listeners from Young Professional Urban, a lot of urbanists, quote-unquote urbanists, and then some artists who listen in. And w- What can people do around
1: this initiative? Well, you can definitely vote. November oh, of course, that's, of that's, that's baseline, right? Yeah. And you can make a donation of the campaign. What's it called? It is Initiative sixteen thirty one. So it's yes on sixteen thirty one. And that
0: and that's also there's a campaign website where they can yes. Okay. Yes great. on
1: sixteen thirty one org. Okay. Um, simple. Uh, you know, those are those foundational things. Um, we. Um, anticipate the um, oil and gas industry will come out strong against us, Right. Um, not only because they want to beat it here in Washington, but they want to make sure that there is no ripple effect in the, the country, right? And the yep. precedent that we would set. Um, so we anticipate the industry will be spending a lot of money here in Washington State. They're already gearing up to do that. Um, so we really need people to come out and volunteer to be able to knock on doors, get involved, tell other people about the issue, and to really give people the... Um, Information to know that there's something we can do here mm-hmm. in this Washington, mm-hmm. and that um, although you know we hope for um, uh, national change or other change around these issues, that we have the ability right here at to home start. to do to yeah. start that. That's why the ballot is also such a powerful tool.
0: Yeah. Have you been able to work with any of the uh, large companies here? I mean, it could be anything. It could be mm-hmm. Boeing. They're probably. I don't know where they stand on that, but it could be Boeing, Microsoft, Amazon. I mean, do any of the corporate entities here have a stake in this, uh, this conversation?
1: We think so. We think they have a big stake in the conversation, right? This is about um, what kind of state we live in. It's about our natural resources, of which a lot of them rely, right? The warehouses of the, of the world rely on our natural resources. Um, and they do have a big stake. And I think that we've been having um, active conversations with them. Um, we hope and anticipate that they will support the initiative. Um, I think that their employees support this issue and would like to see something. So any of your listeners who work at those big Oops. corporations, yep. great to you know talk to the uh, CEO and, and your government affairs person or whoever about supporting this. So we anticipate that business will support. We will definitely see opposition already. Seeing the no campaigns already up will be oil and gas company. Yep. But I think a lot of the companies here in this region – are uh, both concerned about climate change and want to see action. I think that it's uh, harming their businesses in mm. various ways um, and that they know that, um, that we have to do something. Right. It's, we're already, many would argue, behind on addressing this. So I oh. think they want to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, we were
0: right? behind when Al Gore ran for president, <laughs> right? <Exactly. laughs> that was, it seems yeah. like forever exactly. ago. Exactly, yeah. Um, hey, you know, we like to end every se- interview with a little segment we call If You Care About. You should fill in the blanks.
1: If you care about climate injustice, you should vote yes on 1631.
0: Man, that was so easy. Aiko Schaefer, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Come on back sometime.
1: Anytime. Thanks. Okay. Bye.
0: That was Aiko Schaefer who's heading up the Yes on 1631 effort. Check them out at yeson1631.org a big election uh, generally (laughs) in the Seattle area but that's one of the bigger initiatives I think we're going to decide on not only for the city but for the world that's right all music by the Subcons dope opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson this has been a Cascadia Underground production as such we want to thank Navu for his help I am your host Ian Martinez and we'll see you next week